Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're glad you're with us here this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. And uh, we're grateful you joined us and you slogged through the rain to get here. And uh, we hope we'll keep power long enough to worship together. If you're a college student here today, I want to bait you a little bit. After our 1045 service, across the parking lot in the first building uh, outside there, the building to the north, our student ministry center, we're having college lunch. We'd like to invite all of you to come back. Even if you want to go shopping or run into town or whatever, want to come back, it's burrito bowls. And I'm told that that is the most fabulous uh, meal we, we give. But it's also an opportunity for you if you're a college student to know how to get connected at Christ Church to do more than just attend church. So I really want to encourage you to go uh, after our 1045 service out to the the building and we'd love to meet you out there and introduce ourselves and uh, give you free lunch. All right. We are completing the seventh week of a series called Pathways. Pathways is a word picture that we use here as a church as uh, taken from the Old Testament as what it means to be a disciple of God. How do we journey with him through life and follow the path that he set before us. Jesus said that the, the path to heaven is very narrow and difficult, and the path to hell is wide and easy. And so how do we walk the pathway of discipleship that we're called to walk? Uh, taking the words of Dallas Willard and the concept, he said that discipleship is phased. In other words, there's, there's uh, pieces of it that we have to put together in order to follow Jesus well. The very first is to learn to live our lives with Jesus to be with him each and every day, each and every moment, aware of his presence. The second phase is to become like Jesus. It's to begin to live our lives out to what he's teaching us, to experience what he's giving us opportunities to experience. And the third thing is then to live our lives as Jesus would live his life if he were us. So it is to be with him, to live like him, and then to live as he lived. And this is what it means to be a disciple of his. This series has been designed, so whether you're just exploring Christ, you're beginning to experience new things with him, or you have a life with Jesus where you feel comfortable and you want to grow in it even more, this is what this series has been about. We have focused on the three things that God has given us that help us initially to be his disciple, scripture, prayer, and being in a community. It's crystal clear in scripture that if you Involve yourself in these three things, study of God's word, a time of community with God in prayer, and a time of community with one another, serving and loving and caring for each other. God does some pretty amazing things. Okay, in case the power goes out and we all get an early exit here today, I want to tell you what I want you to remember most of all. God wants to be with you, and he has given things to us to help that happen. Never deny that. God is not distracted or disinterested. He's not disengaged. God wants to be close to you. And he has given you some things to help you do that with him. And so this is what our series has been about. So in this Pathway series, we have focused two weeks on scripture, two weeks on prayer, and the last two weeks have been on community. And Dennis just mentioned it. Drake, two weeks ago, preached a message for us about what the church does when it gets together, taken out of Acts chapter 2. We do things like we teach, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we practice generosity, we sing songs of worship together, we devote ourselves to the cause of Christ. Then last week, our impact team talked to us about ways that our faith can impact other people in the world by the way we live out our following of Jesus. 
So I wanna ask a question that sticks in my heart and I make my living from being involved in the church. This church is very generous to our staff, provides us livable salaries and health benefits and wonderful things. So this may seem a bit self-serving, but I don't want it to be. I just wanna be honest with you. I ask myself the question, of all the ways that God was gonna put this world together, why the church? I mean, if you think about it, isn't my individual faith in Jesus enough? Isn't my believing in who Jesus is, isn't that enough? Won't that help me enough to follow Jesus the rest of my life? And the answer is no. Uh, Aren't the headaches of people in the church a reason to avoid the church? And sometimes the answer is yes. And I know in a room this size, there's a number of you who now come to Christ Church because of a bad experience you had where you were worshiping. And I wanna say that with compassion, I I can understand that. But I'll also let you know, there are a number of people in the community that are attending churches that are not Christ Church because they had a bad experience here. No church is perfect. Nobody ever gets it all right. And so why in the midst of all this would God through the Holy Spirit choose that the way he was going to make a difference in the world through Jesus was a thing called the church? So what is the church community and the plans of God? It's a good question, but to answer it, we have to remind ourselves what it isn't. And the church is not valued in the way culture values it. Now, culture is not the boogeyman. It's not the bad guy. We make culture. We allow culture, and then we follow it. And so when I talk about culture, I'm not talking about a a group of bad people in a dark, smoke-filled room making big decisions. I'm talking about the way humanity lives out its existence and its selfishness and its anger and its darkness. And having said all that, if you look at the way that the world measures the church, it measures it simply by success. I can show you Christian magazines, and I don't mean to disparage them, but I don't agree with what they do. Their promotion, their magazines, their their websites are all promoting the 50 fastest growing churches in America. The the world measures the church by success, by numerical growth, by how well-known the pastor is. Does he have his own television program? How many people listen to his podcast? Has he published a book? How many building projects they're in? How innovative they are when they get together for worship? These are all things that all of us look at and think, wow, if those good things are happening there, they must be doing good things. And I think they are. But can I say this to us here today? God doesn't measure a church the way we measure a church. God's not interested in how cool it is. God's interested in how faithful it is. It's not the standard of the world that matters, nor can it matter to us. Now, as much as I don't wanna do this, I want y'all to give Drake a break. Two weeks ago, my friend Drake stood on the stage and he actually made a very good, well-spoken, cogent point and it got missed. It got missed because Drake said that we weren't cool. And in fact, he referred to us as boring. Now, if you wanna give Drake grief, knock yourselves out, but not over that. He was being facetious, he was being subtle. And his point was that Christ Church was boring. And when he first came here, there wasn't anything exciting about it. He even used that ugly word that's getting him in trouble, sexy. Well, can I tell you the truth? That's on purpose. A, I can't be sexy or cool, so I'm out. But this church doesn't want to be cool or slick. 
We've chosen to be boring. We've chosen intentionally to not make this about who talks, to not make it about a brand, to not be out there trying to fit an image that the world wants us to be. We have chosen right or wrong and we're willing to live and die on it. We want to be a church that pleases God even when the world doesn't notice. It takes a lot to get there. And yes, there are moments that it's so, you just wanna draw a crowd, but that's not what God measures, is it? I want you to look with me that if we do the kingdom work that God wants us to do, the world is not gonna give us applause but God will, and isn't that worth it? You see, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to a church, and in Ephesians chapter two, if you'll have your Bibles, just look with me at chapter two, verse 10. In Ephesians 2, 10, he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The church is a part of God's plan, no question. Now we people get in the way and we make it about ourselves and that messes it up. But when we focus on what God's called the church to do, it will work. Drake told us what we do when we get together. And the impact team last week told us opportunities in front of us if we're willing to serve them. I wanna answer why we do what we do. You see, if you look at it, God has called us into this. So what is the measure of God's community? The Apostle Paul writes the majority of the New Testament. It's his writings that we study regularly. Paul often writes to churches. He's writing to communities of faith like us in locations. And I want you to know when Paul writes to churches, he never mentions how big they are, how well-known their pastor is, or whether or not they're getting a bunch of traffic. Paul looks for something completely different than the world looks for. In Ephesians chapter four, if you look at chapter four with me now, verse one, we're gonna flop back a little bit this morning. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That each and every single one of us is to live together to the calling of the church. Yes, your individual faith is the initiation to your life of discipleship, but the church is the method in which God grows you up. It can't be separate. Now, if you go back to chapter one, I know you got paper cuts. Just jump back to chapter one, verse 15. This is what Paul says to this church. I want you to see a trend here. He says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul has identified what he's looking for when he looks at a church, faith, love, and hope. And I'll teach you some insight into your Bible study. When you read a letter that Paul's written to the churches of Rome or Ephesus or Colossae or Galatians or Thessalonica, when you look at those letters, you'll notice the reason Paul's writing the letters to the churches is he's encouraging them to keep going in faith, hope, and love, or something is missing in faith, hope, and love. That's why he's writing the letters, to call them into what God created the church for. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at the screen with me. We always thank God for all of you. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. Ephesus, you guys are killing it. Faith, hope, and love. Church of Thessalonica, you guys are killing it. I see your faith, I see your hope, and I see your love. Now, stop here for a second. This is a completely different sermon I don't get to preach today. How do you see faith, hope, and love? Think about that. Then, if you read the second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is writing the second letter because their hope was fading. They had placed their hope not in the power of the resurrection and the promise of the Messiah, they had heard that Jesus had returned and left them and they began to lose hope. So Paul writes a letter and in the second letter, he says, I see your love, I see your faith. What happened to your hope? And to the Corinthian church, who had strong faith and great hope, they were missing love. They were fighting and allowing sin and they weren't loving each other enough to have hard conversations and to care for each other. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, this line, and now these things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The world measures us differently than we should measure ourselves. Yes, it's important to be relevant. There's nothing wrong with being relevant unless we care more about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. And here's the good news. If we do what God says we are to be as his church, the world will be, a, will be blessed by us. If we do what the world wants us to do, we will not bless them or ourselves. So this is what, how God measures a church. So to answer the question, why would he put us together and call us to church and call us to what he's called us to, I wanna show you the why behind God's reasoning found in scripture. So the question is, what will we experience in God's community? Let's begin in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. I'll just confess this. This is one of the most prominent and important passages of scripture for me as a pastor to remind myself what we're supposed to be about. You'll hear us say regularly, we wanna help God's people find their completeness in Jesus. It all comes from these verses. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Some translations say to the completeness of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to notice. When Paul writes to the church, he doesn't use singular pronouns. He uses the plural form. When Paul says words like, you and your, he's not talking about individuals, he's talking about us. I don't know if you need to hear this, but I have to remind myself this regularly. The church is not here to please me. It's not about me, it's about we. I've shared this too many times, but my dad had this great line, I'm one of four boys, there's six in our household, and I probably got this more than any of the other boys. My dad wasn't being mean, he was centering me back on truth when he would say to me regularly, Mark, what's best for you is not best for all of us. He was wrong, but I had to live with it, you know? <laughs> in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul teaches a similar teaching. I am writing these things to you so that you'll know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. When I read a passage like that, it reminds me, God values the church more than I do. 
I, I think, how is the church helping me? And he says, no, how are you living within the, the element of truth that will display to this world everything we talked about last week and the week before? So I wanna share with you just a few things that we experience, the why behind the church. And so I know it's tough to say, hey, don't worry about what you get, but then I'm gonna tell you what you get. Because I wanna entice you to realize that the church is one of the things God's given us to grow in discipleship. So the very first thing I'll point out is that we will live intentionally if we are a part of God's kingdom called the church, not just a spectator, we will live intentionally by what we do here together and we call that worship. Now I make a mistake regularly because I will often at the conclusion of a sermon say, let's stand and worship as if you're not worshiping now. And you actually are worshiping now more intently than you probably do elsewhere because your focus is on God now, not you. You're being challenged to think of what life might be like if you walk differently. In Hebrews 10, 24 it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, when you gather here, if I can be direct, you know, Drake said it well two weeks ago, there's some Sundays, even we that are paid to be here don't feel like getting out of bed and coming to church. But we do, do you know why? Because when I see you, and I see people I have relationship with, and I know how busy you are and your lives are focused and you still make time for God and you still focus together and we encourage each other and we share what's going on in our lives. You help me focus my mind on this matters. Walking in faith matters. This works. See, worship is a continual state of mind on God. That's why in the, the two weeks we talked about scripture, we talked about opening yourself up to Focusing your mind each and every day on who he is. One of my favorite authors said in a presentation, I heard a live presentation, he said that he awakened every day, said the Lord's Prayer, and quoted the 23rd Psalm to remind him what his life was to be set on. And I've taken that practice, and I enjoy it every morning I wake up and I start with this. God is my shepherd. I need nothing else. And I can begin my day worshiping because I'm confident in who he is. And I don't put that out there like I'm some superhero. No, I'm just a slug trying to get through every day like you. But when I gather with folks like you, it helps me focus my mind. This matters. Walking by faith matters. We can also face life's problems. And we in the church call that fellowship. That we have a connection, a unity. Paul said, I, I pray that we all come together until all of us are unified around Jesus and all of us find our completeness in him. I read this a long time ago, and I wish I would have cited the source, but I was young, and I just put it in quotes to remind me it wasn't my idea. And here's what it said. Life is a series of problems to overcome or to be overwhelmed by. Now, for some of you, you may go, that's really cynical. Yeah, but is it true? Remember when you were 16, and all you want to do is get older, and now you're 50-something, and you wish you could be 16? Why? Because life is a series of situations to overcome or to be overcome by. And yet in the church, through the plan of God, one of the benefits to our life is having a group of people to walk with in life. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So two weeks in a very vulnerable moment for me, I shared with you that they put my mom on hospice. 
Now, I know several of you have reached out to me because I was out preaching. That was planned in the schedule anyway, and yet some of you were conscientious enough to wonder if mom had passed. No, she's doing fine. The hospice nurse said she's like a car battery that just can't take another charge. So each cell is slowly devolving until it will just wear itself out. And she's not in any pain, so thank you for your concern and prayer. But this church was amazing. I can't tell you. I mean, I honestly can't. I feel horrible because I haven't been able to get back to everybody who reached out to me. I got text messages. I got voicemails. I got emails. I got a care package. I got a road trip full of food. You know me. I received fresh baked bread, prayers, encouragement. A beautiful family in this church gave me gas money. I'm so humbled. People just wanted to help. But you know what I found out? Most people that reached out to me, you know what the common thread was? They had been around this lap one more time than me. All of them shared. Yeah, we had to move my parents out of their home. My mom died unexpectedly and we had to find a place to care for my dad. My, my parents went through cancer and we watched this long road. Everybody was sharing. Do you hear what the scripture says? How do people who don't have faith make it through this stuff? I couldn't have. I made it because people were actually praying and encouraging me and just sending voicemails saying, just want you to know we love you and we're thinking and we're praying for your mom. The number of people, even last week who saw me in the foyer and were like, hey, I want you to know we're, we're praying for your mom every day. I, that means the world to me. I wouldn't know how much it meant if I wasn't in this mess. So I wanna tell you, even when you don't want to come to church, somebody here needs you to come to church. Somebody needs to know you care. Somebody needs to know this matters to you too. So we will face life's problems together. Fellowship is not just a good meal. Fellowship is living life together and holding each other up when they can hardly stand up. You see, we can also know how to live by faith. We learn from one another. The Apostle Paul says to us older men, those of you that have been around and taken a few laps more than those under you, mentor them. Walk with the younger guys. For those of you, grandparents and parents, and you have coworkers, and that, that young man or young woman on your staff has their first baby, and you're on number four, and you've graduated three of them, God put us together that we might encourage them. This is a big deal. That's not a big deal. You'll sleep again one day. It's walking through these situations with one another. Hebrews 6.1 says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. I don't know that I've ever explained this before, but I want you to, to hear from one of your pastor's hearts about why we do what we do in the teaching here. I know for a fact there have been people who have left our church to go to, uh, to other churches because they just didn't like not how we were teaching, but they didn't like the series we were in. They wanted something different. And really, as much as it kind of does hurt my feelings, I get it and I don't hold any, any animosity toward it as long as they're still worshiping Jesus in community. But we've had people who, you don't get a say in what I preach. The team that we get together and we figure out, we, answer, we ask and answer this question. What is the need in the community of our faith? Not the world. What is the need in our church? That's why we don't preach the front page of the Joplin Globe. Things happen and every now and then we'll address them. But we're not going to be guided by what is contemporarily hot and happening. What is the word of God saying to us? Because we want to go beyond the elementary 
facts of the gospel story. And we want to tell people why it matters that we stay connected. Why does the world need us? Why do we need each other? And what is the gospel doing that we can invest in? I hope that matters to you. We're going to be a Bible preaching church. I pray until the day Jesus returns that it's not the opinions of the preacher. It's the opinions of God. And that the word of God, now that may sound self-serving to some of you, but I want you to understand, you have an opinion about everything, so do I. But opinions, you'll argue about. Convictions, you'll die for. And we want to show what we should have conviction on in scripture that we're willing to die for. Why? Why would God put us together for this reason? Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This is why we gather, to remind ourselves why faith matters. We'll also identify our place of contribution and service. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because last week, uh, Allison, Maggie, and Drake did a great job of showing us, even in our community, not just things to keep us busy, but things that make an eternal difference. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says to that church that was struggling with loving others, He said, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. In other words, we all don't have to be doing the same thing, but we should all be serving the same Lord. And then later in that chapter, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Your contribution matters. And yet it matters more in community than it does separate. See, if you go back over this series, scripture, prayer, and community, I'm gonna venture safely today I feel very comfortable with this, that every one of us has an area that we need to grow in, whether it's understanding scripture or being uh, more connected to God in prayer or serving in community and living together. And all of us have this. And I want you to know when I talk about groups, I'd ask you to seek out a group that helps you in that area of your discipleship that's most lacking right now. It's not all gonna be the same kind of group. I'm gonna encourage you before you leave here today, go out into the foyer and go by the tables that are out there. If you're lacking in understanding scripture or how to study it, or you're not growing in the word right now, then I'm gonna encourage you, get involved in a class that helps you develop yourself in community in those ways. It might be your spiritual formation in prayer. There are classes that will help you do that. For some of you, it's getting connected in community. I'm gonna encourage you to go out to the table, take one of the cards, it's called Rooted. It's the storefront to entering into relationships with other Christians and learning what it means to be a disciple together. I've taken it twice. Our elders have taken it. And you can look around the room. There will be people who have taken root. Just raise your hand right now if you've taken rooted. I'm gonna do something really dangerous. Leave them up here for a second. Leave them up if you take it again. Okay. If you're looking for community, enter into rooted and see what happens. Why are we doing this? Why the church? Is because we will fulfill God's plan. It's called mission. I'll simply close this way. God does things differently than we do and he does them for reasons that he explains to us. Sometimes before he asks us to do it and sometimes he explains it after we've obeyed. God has a plan for you. God has a mission for your money. God has a mission for your career. God has a mission for your time, for your friends. God has a mission for your words and your thoughts. God has a plan that he can use your talents. 
God can use your pains and your triumphs. He can use your joys and your sorrows. God has not abandoned you. He's brought you into community, not so that we become your God. He's brought you into community so that together we grow together with him as the church. It's stated in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You'll never go as far with Jesus as you can go without his church. I don't mean Christ Church of Orinoco. I mean a gathering of people committed to loving and serving one another in the name of Jesus, witnessing and testifying to the world of the good news of the gospel of grace and changing lives. So I was in South Bend, Indiana where I was born and raised and we took my parents out of their home that they'd lived in since 1975. Piles of stuff, I don't know why that woman kept it. And yet she turned it over to her boys and my oldest son, Alex, came and for four days, Alex and I were alone in that house and we were making piles of stuff family would want and piles of stuff goodwill might want and piles of stuff nobody wanted. And we made choices about my parents' possessions with their blessing. And I got to spend a lot of time going through my mom's Bibles and her notebooks and I saw bulletins of the church that I grew up in, Northway Church of Christ in South Bend, Indiana. It wasn't an organization. There were names of people, Sunday school teachers, youth group people, people who invited us out to swim to keep us busy and together and people that showed up when I preached my first sermon there and people who came to my ordination, people who sent me bags of red licorice when I was a Bible college student because they knew me, people who loved and cared for me. I'm grateful for the church. I'm not grateful because I'm a preacher. I'm grateful because I know Jesus because of that church. Do you have that experience? Maybe you don't have a church background. Then we want to be that for you. This church wants to be that for you. But many of us come from a background of faith where someone invested in us that no one will ever know and no magazine will ever publish. And my little tiny church in South Bend will never make the fastest growing churches in America. And I don't care. They did good work. I'd like us to do now. Let's just spend 30 seconds. Talk to God. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a congregation. Maybe it's two or three ministries that change the trajectory of your life. Let's spend 30 seconds being grateful for God's church and the people who have made a difference in our life. Let's talk to him. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.